This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and today I have got a great, great, great guest. His name is Dave Harrison, and I am really excited to introduce you to him because he is just a wealth of information and advice and all good stuff. Dave, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to join you, and um, sounds like you're doing some great things there. I'm trying, Dave. I'm trying. So before we launch into it, I just want to remind everybody that my new book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor, is out and it is available. You can go to Amazon and get it and pay for it and I'll make a dollar or two or you can let me buy a copy of the book for you and you can do that by just going to thewealthycontractor.com and you will see their opportunity to get a free copy of the book basically on me. So Dave, I got it. I got to tell them the quick, I got to tell them the story real quick of you and me. So you okay with that? That's fine. So about a month or two ago, I was at an event in La Jolla and lo and behold, there stands Dave Harrison. And I hadn't seen Dave in, I think, almost exactly 10 years because it was 10 years before that, that I did my first event, which was this basically the same event. And I don't even remember how this happened, but somebody told me, hey, you gotta meet Dave Harrison, you gotta talk to Dave. And so I went to this event, when I finally kind of figured out who Dave was, he was actually leaving. And so I reminded him of this story and I ran after him and I said, Hey Dave, I'm Brian. And I don't remember exactly what we even talked about, but at the time I believe you were with GAF, right? That's correct. I was uh, president international. I was on their board of directors and I was chief marketing officer and bunch of, bunch of titles, bunch of hats, but I had fun. Yeah. So I don't know what happened or how it happened, but Dave, got me into speaking at their event, which I did not, I don't think I told you about what happened because what, by the time I spoke at the event, you weren't, you weren't there, you had moved on. And that was one of the things that really helped to launch our business. And Dave just kind of, at least for me, just kind of disappeared after that. And I didn't know He's going to give you his background now, but then I, so I hadn't seen him in 10 years and I hadn't been able to say thank you to him for everything that he did for a guy he barely even knew. And so I just thought I would share that story with you because you never know, you never know who might be that person that just helps you. I had no idea that when I went to that event with my new business, G4 Marketing Group, that 
I would meet somebody that would then introduce me to somebody else that would introduce me to a group that would then bring on some of our best clients and blah, 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 and build a whole company around it. So I can't thank Dave enough, but the, the best I've managed to do is make him work. I'll find a better way to uh, say thank you, Dave, but today I'm going to ask you to work a little bit. So if you could, you, you gave everybody a little bit of your GAF background, but can you give everybody like a minute or two, and they're going to get to know you pretty well on this call, but, uh, or in this episode, but give us a little bit about your background. A little bit about my background. I started out as a serial entrepreneur, started a bunch of companies, a newspaper, a chain of art galleries, a chain of jewelry stores, a home party business, whatever. And, and that worked great until my partner skipped the country with all the money we made. Went back to grad school, cleaned things up. Went the big corporate route, spent nine years with Johnson & Johnson, global head of marketing of various divisions there. Had the privilege of working for Ted Nugent, Jeff Nugent's brother, so that was awesome. Then by accident, got into the business of turning around technically bankrupt large companies for owners. Uh, first one was for Eckerd Drug, did five divisions of Eckerd Drug. Some of you may know them. It's Walgreens, CVS, and then Eckerd. And then for Brown Foreman, some of you know Brown Foreman for their Jack Daniels, um, but also Corbell Champagne, whatever I took, five of their businesses out of bankruptcy. Lennox Fine China, Hartman Luggage, Gorm Silver, Dance House Scores, which was 200 retail stores, and Kirk Steve. Ended up with GAF. Helped, uh, most people don't know, but they were in technical bankruptcy at the time. Oh, I uh, that. My Sam Heyman brought me in. I don't think the employees know it. I know the customers didn't know it. I helped take with the team. GAF out of bankruptcy, ended up staying with them 13 years as chief marketing officer, president international on the board of directors, whatever. And then my younger son was playing lacrosse for West Point. I wanted to go to every game. So I made a deal with Sam Heyman and I stayed on as a consultant for four more years, but got to every game and went and did one more bankruptcy when Sam went off to Afghanistan to lead special operations, 121 of them, put the shoes on to do one more technical bankruptcy, which was champion windows, 85 locations at the time. Got them into the roofing business, did over $25 million in just the first year, by the way, in roofing. Wow. Pulled them out of bankruptcy. And then I went to do something I always wanted to do. I taught full-time at the Kelly School of Business, which some of you may know is uh, now the number one rated public business school in the United States. And since then, I've been teaching university and having a good time and associated, as you know, with Certified Contractor Network uh, and Scott Siegel and his team, just trying to help contractors build their business and avoid hassles. Wow. So you know a little bit about business then. It's fair <laughs> to say. Thank you very much. And, and the funny part is I, I flunked out of three high schools. So when I went back to reunion and told them I was doing this stuff, they all thought I was absolutely lying. That's funny. Had a good time. So you have worked with a lot of home improvement companies. Yeah. And I think you've got some, I, I, you know, one of the things before we, started the recording, I, I said to Dave, I said, what I just really like to talk about is what makes somebody successful in this business and what makes somebody unsuccessful in this business. And I just said, let's kind of take it from there and see where we go with it. And so let's start with, from your experience, when you are growing a home improvement company, you know, there's certain levels that you get to, you know, you kind of muscle your way to about a million, a million two, and then you got to kind of reinvent yourself and reinvent the business to get to that 
next level of two to three million, and then you got to do it again to go to five, and go, do it again to go to ten. From your experience, what makes these company or the the entrepreneur, let's say, the business owner, um, what 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 are the things that they need to possess? Uh, what skills, what mindsets do they need to possess in order to grow a successful home improvement business? Yeah, it's a great question. So the key things for success, at least I believe, is you know, some of the same stuff we learned in high school and forgot we learned. And so what do I mean by that? We learned in high school, two most important skills are relationships and teamwork. And the things we learned about relationships and teamwork, a lot of us forgot. So give you an example, all right? You think of good teams versus great teams. What's the difference between a great team? One, just like in sports, just like professional sports, one, they're disciplined. And what's discipline mean? It's doing the things you don't want to do and doing them anyway because you know they're the right things to do. So that's one. Two, they have a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. They, they feel like they're part of a group. They feel like they're bigger than just themselves, no matter where they are in the group. And they, they help people understand that. Three is they overcome the fear of change. The reality is we learned in relationships. It's one of the reasons dating was so difficult. You know, why don't, what was the most difficult thing getting a date? It was asking why, because we're wired as individuals to avoid risk. And part of a team and part of success is overcoming the challenge of change, overcoming the challenges of risk. And great leaders and great entrepreneurs understand that they bring passion, they bring trust, they bring understanding, and they're focused on helping other people. And that it's a pretty simple recipe. So when you break down kind of the skill sets, you know, you said you, you have to do the right things. And I like what you said about discipline. You've got to do the things that you don't want to do. Um, what are some of the right things? When we talk specifically about skill sets, I mean, what are some of the right things? I mean, let's take somebody, let's take a specific example. Let's take somebody that's, you know, up against a million dollars, um, Let's just assume that they've got their profit model figured out, right? So let's say that they're at, at least 10%, but there really should be ideally at about 15% of a net profit. And they want to kind of take that to the next level. They want to go to that two or $3 million. What are some of the things that they've got to be thinking about? And what are the things that they've got to stop doing? What are the things they have to start doing? That's a great question. So one of the, I don't know if it's a mistake or not, it's, it's, it's really a capability. The biggest difference between companies that go from a million to successfully at four to five million. I've seen companies go from a million to four or five million, but still not making much money. Right. So what's the difference in the ones that are successful make that transition? I would say the biggest one is owners looking at it and, and saying, what is my job as an owner? And a lot of owners think, well, as an owner, I'm supposed to make all the decisions and I'm responsible for everything. And my key advice to owners is the best way to grow is figure out what you do best and delegate the rest. This episode is brought to you by Business Success Consulting Group. Does the way your business currently operate prevent you from scaling and growing? 
Is the most valuable knowledge in your organization held by just a handful of key personnel? Are you spending valuable time training your teams instead of running your business? Business Success Consulting Group understands the challenges of organizing while you grow, and they specialize in putting order into the chaos of an expanding organization. Adi and her team at BSCG work closely with you and your team to capture vital business knowledge, and then they help you develop, document, optimize, and implement systems and processes across every area of your organization, from sales and operations to marketing, human resources, and business development. Adi and her team have decades of experience and will help you empower your teams to function effectively with reproducible results that will set your business up for continual success and expansion. Schedule your free consultation today by calling or texting 503-662-2911. If you're great at sales, then why the heck are you getting out of doing sales? If you're great at installation, why are you getting totally out of installation? And a lot of owners believe, well, my job is to not make decisions and everything. No, your job is to delegate and leverage skills and leverage capabilities and build a team around you. A great quarterback doesn't try to be the front line and the receivers and play defense and do all those things just because now they're quarterback. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I see owners make. So as an example, I mean, one of the things that I see is if somebody's really, really good at sales, they kind of get themselves stuck there. Because to do it, you know, to a good salesperson in home improvement sells about a million bucks a year, let's say. And that's pretty much a full-time job. So how do you do that and grow a business at the same time? Well, as an example, so let's take, using my example, it doesn't mean you do it 100% of the time, but let's take an example of I'm now at a million dollars, all right? And yeah, I've got to manage different parts of the company. I don't, delegating doesn't mean giving up responsibility. But an example might be, as I suggested to an owner just a couple of weeks ago, I said, look, why don't you spend 20% of your time if it's a big lead, a lead you know has big volume potential? Go on the lead and take responsibility, but bring one of the salespeople with you so you're teaching at the same time. Let's say it's the slower season and you got a salesperson going out on a call. Go on a few calls a week. It doesn't mean going to 100% sales if I'm great at sales. It means going on some of the key ones and doing some of the co-travel and being sort of a player coach, but still do the other things. So it's not a matter of doing it 100% of the time and giving up responsibility for the overall company, but it does mean delegating out the key parts and keeping your focus on what you do best. For that owner, if he spends 20% of the time in the field, he'll be better at staying in touch with what his competitors are doing, what consumers want, how they're coming across, all those different things. And I also recommended to that same owner on big jobs, you be the one to go pick up a check. You'll understand more about the quality of your company and what people are thinking and how to get referrals if you do some of those. What does that all mean? The stuff you're best at, you're better at having a pulse that's a quality pulse. Keep your pulse on the things you're best at and intuitively you just get. Don't give those things up, totally. 
So 20% of the time, I like that, you know, because to me, it just seems like, you know, if you're a great salesperson or you're a great installer, you could find yourself stuck there because that's where you're most comfortable. So I like your suggestion of, especially when you're smaller, I think as you get bigger, um, maybe that 80-20 goes down a little bit. Maybe it's 5% of your time and 95% of the time you're uh, managing the business, focused on, on the team, growing the business. Is that no, actually not. It, actually not. The key is delegating the major parts of your business and building a team around you. If you're going to manage everything, then why would a good, per why would a great person want to be on your team? Great people want responsibility. Good people are happy with getting direction and everything to do. You want to build a great business. You've got to be able to delegate and and let me use an example of that. My belief is in delegation, if you can find somebody that 5% of the time you look at what they do and you go, oh my God, that's embarrassing. 20% of the time you look at it and say, wow, well, it's okay, but I wouldn't have done it that way. And 75% of the time they did it pretty much like you would do it, pretty much. Get a great person there. In other words, if you can find someone that 25% of the time you're not throwing up, delegate. Most owners have trouble doing that. They so, demand, they no. demand in their minds that they know the best way and everyone should do it that way. You'll never build a great team that way. So how do you start that process of delegation? Because we've, we've all heard it, delegate, delegate, give it away, have somebody else do it. Um, but it's not easy. As you know, it's tough. It's not easy and it's not easy to look the other way when occasionally you look at it and you say, yuck. It doesn't mean you educate on how to do it better. It doesn't mean you don't have those conversations, but it doesn't mean to stop delegating because a few times you hate the outcome and sometimes you really wish they did it better. Cause if you get someone who 75% of the time does it the way you basically you would have done it, you got someone pretty good and you never get that leverage until you can accept that. And even if you think of people who built the biggest business, some of you know, Barry Siegel, all right. I got to work with Barry after he sold Bradco. You know, I went over to Africa several times. Barry, as some of you know, built a very large philanthropic effort. And I remember one time asking Barry, when you had one location, what was the key? What, were you, what was your dream? And he looked at me and said, to have two locations. So when you got two locations, what was your dream? Oh, my God, can you imagine having four? Now, as Barry built a 250-location operation, where did Barry spend most of his time? He spent 40% of his time negotiating deals with manufacturing and doing purchasing. You know why? Because that's what he was best at. It doesn't mean he gave up managing the business, but he brought in a great team around them and delegated. It's the only way you can really grow, which is why a lot of people can't grow. It's the reason there's a magazine called Inc. Because Inc. Magazine is all about entrepreneurs who in the entrepreneurial stage is all about doing and then have transitioning the stage of 
delegating and being a true leader. Does that help? So when you are, how do you kind of decide what are the first key pieces you have to get rid of? Well, it, it goes back to what are the pieces that you're best at and look at your time. I mean, think of yourself, whether you're the owner or not, whether you're an employee, think of yourself as an asset, all right? If you're an owner, it's the whole financial picture. If you're an employee, you are the asset. Your time is an asset. You're selling your time. So think about it like a return on your investment. If I spend my time doing this, it's worth X an hour. If I spend my time doing that, it's worth Y an hour. So as an example, using the analogy, if I'm an owner and I now have a $2 million business, but what got me here was I was really great at operations. I could train foremen, I could see quality, I could get it done. Well, I'm worth a lot more per hour training and facilitating and building a culture of those employees of excellence than when I'm doing something like working on HR issues. And you gotta ask yourself intellectually, how much is my time worth per hour on each thing I'm doing? And start delegating based on that. Looking at the time per hour thing, so somebody, you know, let's say they're making, man, I'm going to make myself do some math here. So let's say they're making two grand a week. They work 50 hours a week. It's, you know, 40 bucks an hour, right? So yep. they see themselves, okay, I'm making, you know, and not a lot of people do this exercise. And by the way, I would recommend that you go and do this exercise. Actually look at how much money you made last year and divide it by the number of hours you worked. And that's going to give you, a, you know, a rate per hour. And by the way, and do it back of the envelope. I mean, you don't need a detailed Excel analysis because right. here's the key to business. And let me get to one other key thing here. The business is about best guess. All business best guess because you're always dealing with A, changing data, and B, changing facts. And even the facts are mess. Let me give you an example. One of the things I believe in, right? You know, there's four types of facts out there. There's what I call gold which is accurate and really important. Then, and this is an area that a lot of owners mess up, is a ton of vampires facts. What's a vampire fact? It's accurate, but it's not nearly as important. And it sucks the blood out of the important stuff. And owners get bogged down in vampires all the time and lose focus on what's the highest priority because they think every fact's important. No, you gotta prioritize what's going on three, this is what I call brick wall facts. Brick wall facts is inaccurate information that either you or someone believes, but it's not accurate. And four, what great owners are good at intuitively is what I call ghost facts. Ghost facts are the facts you have to assume because you don't have them, but it's the only way to make sense out of the goal and prioritize. So back to your question, how do I go from a million to three million? You gotta prioritize and you can't deal with everything and you gotta push the vampires aside because it sucks the blood out of the important stuff. And vampires are not only the information that you're getting, it could be people, right? It could be relationships, it could be systems and... Right, you're exactly right. And, and let me switch to, again, the biggest mistakes leaders make. 
because we're wired this way. It's not because I'm mistaken. We're wired as managers to think our job is A, to make decisions. And the best leaders facilitate and let other people come up with the ways to achieve the outcomes. Great owners, great leaders are great at helping people understand the outcome they're looking for and coach people on how to get there, not tell them exactly how to get there, right? It's, it's fundamental. But here's another key thing leaders miss. They miss the fact that their job is not to fix people because you basically can't fix people. So the best leaders figure out not what's wrong with people, but they focus on what's best with people, leverage that, and find ways of protecting their Achilles heel. The more you find someone who's great at one thing, the more likely there's an Achilles heel that goes with it. If you try to fix people, you'll ruin the strength. Give me an example. You have a person working for you that's a great salesperson. Not a good one, a great one. Well, typically, when I find a great salespeople, very often, they're not very good at paperwork. So what are most people do? I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to come down and tell them the paperwork's going to be better. It, now it's the Achilles heel. Now it doesn't mean you let it go totally, but you look at it and say, okay, are there ways because this person is an exception. They're going to the... They're going to the World Series. They are Hall of Fame salespeople. Instead of beating them up on the weakness, how do I get more out of that strength? How do I get more out of the fact that they're a great salesperson? We're wired to do the opposite. We're wired to focus on people's weaknesses and try to fix them. And then we're always disappointed that we weren't successful in fixing it. People don't fix. God, I love Leverage it. their strengths, cover their Achilles heel. Don't ignore it, but help protect it. I love it. You know, what you said before that, too, I thought was really important, and that is that the, the leader understands and communicates the outcome that they expect. And one of the things, and I think, and you know this, you, you have a ton of experience with this, is that a lot of people don't have a really clear outcome that they want from their business. And so they don't have a real clear um, vision, if you will. For example, I talk to people all the time that, that you know, they're, you know, whatever, the, the numbers don't matter. They're doing 2 million, they want to do five. And I say, okay, we have a, you know, we talk a little bit about that. And then I finally, I say, well, okay, well, why do you want to do 5 million? Well, because, you know, because I want to make more money. Well, how much are you making now? And, you know, stuff is broken now and they think that by just bringing on more that somehow it's managed magically going to be fixed. Exactly. And, and, and to that point, I had a good friend contractor, as a lot of you know, I started the master lead program, the authorized program for GF and also the care program, the education. It was a contractor out in Chicago. I'll never forget this. I'm not going to say who it is. Who's doing about 5 million a year. And he, Asked me, he and his wife asked me one day to come out, look at the business, whatever. Said, Dave, we're not making much money. We're making like 50 grand a year on 5 million. And I looked at his business. I stayed there for two days. I came back to him and I said, okay, you're not going to like what I have to say, but you'll make a ton more money at two and a half million. He goes, how could that be possible? Yep. I said, because your skills and what you're great at, you'll make more money when you're smaller. Because you're great at the details and you're great at operations and you're great hands-on. Don't assume big is more money. It's not always more money. 
You know what's so funny, Dave, that you say that? It, it kind of makes me feel good that that advice that I give to people, you know, also comes out, you know, from somebody like you. But I've had, I don't know how many of those conversations that I've had. It's like, I, I remember I, I have this client, such a great, great guy. And he wants to do so good. And he's grown his business in just a few years to like, I don't know, like four or $5 million. But he's killing himself and he's making like, total making like 120 grand a year. And we were having a conversation, this was last year about, okay, well, what's your goal for next year? Well, I wanna do 6 million, I wanna grow 50%. I'm like, well, but, you know, but wait, what do you want? How much money do you wanna make? And I said to him, I gave him the same advice. I said, wait a minute, don't grow at all on the top line. Why don't you just focus on the bottom line? Forget about the top. You're already at 4 million, but you're only making 100 when you should be making 600. Figure that piece of the business out. Then you don't need to go, you don't need to go bigger. Unless you want to. Exactly. And let me go to one other huge mistake I see, all right? We learned in high school, if you played any sport or if you played music, right? You had to play in music. You got to score. You get the music. You walk into most contracts, you say, show me your process. They don't have one. Just like high school football, your client's teams, what would I do? I'd have people jot down a checklist, not all written out in paragraphs, it'll never get used. A checklist, here are the things we want to consider at each major part of our business. And every Monday morning, it would start off with the first question is, what didn't go well last week, right? There's only three reasons things can't go well, just like in, I learned this from Bill Belichick, by the way, just like in football. Only three reasons things can go wrong if you've got to play. One, someone didn't understand it, Help them understand. Two, the play doesn't work. We need to add to it, change the checklist so it's continuous improvement. Or three, someone's attitude or capability is not getting it done. We're going to let them know that. Tell them we'll try to help them. And if they can't fix, if they don't correct it themselves, you need to get rid of them. That's how you continuously improve. Now, when you've got your plays written down, let's just step back from our business. People don't trust home improvement. Would you agree? Absolutely. Right? Yep. Tell me this isn't true. Most customers are saying to themselves, I want to do the project. I'm afraid of making a mistake. I want to make sure things don't go wrong. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. So if you're in front of a customer and you say to them, look, you want to avoid mistakes on, and here are where mistakes can happen. It can happen in the crews being trained right. It can happen in the system being designed right. It can happen in the insurances and the Workman, a lot of places it can go wrong. Here's our process and how we prevent problems before they happen. And by the way, go ask my competitors for theirs. Your close rate will go up just like that because your competitors don't have a process. So not only does it help you build your company, and not only does it keep people involved, and not does it keep people accountable, and not does it keep you improving, and not only does it force delegation in of itself, it becomes your best sales tool. But yet it amazes me, hardly any contractor does that. You learn in high school, you wanna have a great team, 
You write down the plays, you improve the plays as you go, you ask yourself after every game, what didn't work right? And there's only three reasons it didn't go right. If you focus on those three, you will build a world-class team. Yeah, you know, I love what you said about uh, about all of that. And I would say to everybody, go back a couple minutes, three minutes, four minutes, and listen to that again, and then listen to it again, because it was, it was gold. Um, but the checklist thing, you know, we, we get so caught up in, we have to write out all these big, complicated processes. And I remember once my, my, my good friend, Brian Elias at 1-800-Hansons, this guy built a $75 million company, one of the most successful home improvement companies in the country. And his thing about systems is checklist, checklist, checklist. You can't go wrong if you got a checklist. And, and, it's, and it's that simple. And then the other thing I want to add, and, and the other thing I want to add to that whole list of benefits that you gave for doing this is that, you know, contractors have such a problem with charging the right amount of money. And this is a whole, I'm sure, you know, I know this is a whole nother conversation, but they have such a problem charging the right amount of money. And so they don't understand that it's not about the price. It's about the value that you deliver. And by doing what you just said, the way you said it, and if you have a checklist and you can show your customer, here's how I'm going to protect you, you're immediately worth more money. It doesn't matter that your competitor is doing it for whatever, 300 a square. You're now worth 400 a square, you know, whatever, however that translates to your business. You are automatically worth more money, the more peace of mind that you can give to your customer. Absolutely. And let me go to one more point that's embedded in what you just said, because what I've found, I mean, I try to study world-class companies in every industry and I read about coaches and I would try to say, okay, if it was obvious what to do, everyone would be doing it. So usually the things that are not obvious, those few things are things that make things great, right? So I'm going to give you an example of one. Procter & Gamble is the biggest advertiser in the world. They know more about how the brain learns what drives behavior than anybody, all right? Here's what Procter & Gamble knows. The concept of feature benefit that everybody teaches is crap. It doesn't work. If you watch Procter & Gamble ads, they don't talk about what their product does. They talk about the experience you're going to avoid. It's the result of what you're going to do. It's not what your product does. And avoiding a mistake is a higher probability and a higher motivator than gain. You need both. But they always start out with, don't you want to avoid this? So, for example, I'll use roofing as an example. You know, is it important to you to make sure you're protecting your family's health, to make sure there's really a warranty in place, because frankly, oftentimes, because contractors don't understand the warranty, a lot of times it's void the day it's installed. You want to make sure that your roof system isn't, frankly, costing you more in energy bills than you even realize because it's not properly ventilated. I can help you avoid wasting money, making sure we're protecting your family's health, and making sure you're getting a real good value. Now, if I share that, is my 350 or 450 per square what's important? No. Notice I'm focusing on the experience. Right. That's what I've learned. 
people avoid bad experiences, which places even more weight than getting good ones. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Dave, I'm looking at the clock here, and I've, I've kept you a little bit longer than, than we originally had talked about, but this is just, I mean, this is just great stuff, and I appreciate you so much taking the time and sharing your wisdom. I would love to have you back again. Would you come back? And I would, I would absolutely come back, and again, for those who are interested, and I'm not trying to sell this, but I do, you know, I still teach university full-time, but I'm working with the Certified Contractor Network, Scott Siegel's team. It's not right for everybody, but it's right for a lot of people who want to add discipline to their business and build their practice and happy to share what we do. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much. All right, everybody. That's another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Remember, go to thewealthycontractor.com and get a copy of my new book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. There's an opportunity there for you to get it. You know, basically, I buy the book. You just pay for shipping and handling. And until next time, this is Brian Kastavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. Thank you. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a new way? Did it spark an idea or ideas you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. Now, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. And a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And finally, we started The Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of the wealthy contractor. Now, the wealthy contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay, it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing Group.